This is TSC Now, a podcast by the Tuber Sclerosis Alliance. Hello, and welcome to the August episode of TSC Now. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. With summer winding down and kids going back to school, I thought this would be a great time to talk about common educational issues in TSC and how parents can best advocate for their children within their school system to ensure that they are receiving appropriate services and support. To learn more, I spoke with Lilian Ansari, TS Alliance co-chair of Northern California, a special needs advocate, and a volunteer education parent mentor for the TS Alliance. Here's that conversation. I'm now joined by Lilian Ansari, who is a special needs advocate, the co-chair of the TS Alliance of Northern California, and an education parent mentor. Lilian, thank you for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with your personal story. What's your connection to tuber sclerosis? So I have a little girl who was diagnosed with TSC at the age of eight months old. When she had infantile spasms, she's now 10 years old. And that's how I became involved with the Alliance pretty early on when she was diagnosed, actually. And what is the role of the education parent mentor? What's sort of the scope of that volunteer position? So I have sort of a dual role as the community chair and the parent mentor. So I often get calls from newly diagnosed families. Um, And then we quickly go into what supports are needed for the kids in the school system. So, you know, the needs of our kids are above and beyond and different from any other kid that has IEP typically. So my role is to be an expert or a person of knowledge in the IEP process to help the team understand how the needs of our kids are different and you know all the kind of nuances to help support the kids. So I know that different parent educator mentors have different levels of involvement. Some attend IEPs regularly and support the family before, during, and after the IEP meeting. Some don't get as involved. I think because of my professional background as an advocate, I do get typically pretty involved with the families. I prepare the families before their IEP meeting. I often attend the IEP meetings and then sort of help them wrap up and follow up afterward. You mentioned that professionally you're a special needs advocate. What does that mean? So actually in a previous life, I worked in the public schools before I have the children that I do now. Both of them have an IEP. Both of them have special needs. So after the, the needs of my children became greater, I started started kind of switching from working in the school systems to advocating for my own children and other families to get the most out of their IEP and to understand the IEP process. And when it became very clear to me that there was a huge need in supporting families that are going through what I went through when initially trying to understand the whole process, it became clear to me that there was a huge need to hold the family's hands and not do it for them, but to empower them to advocate for themselves. Because the law is pretty complicated and the schools sometimes have the best interest of the kids in mind most of the time, but sometimes they don't even understand how to implement the law and how to support the kids. So as an advocate, it's my job to educate the family on their rights and to kind of help facilitate a collaboration and a conversation between the family and the schools to come up with a specific and appropriate plan for each student. 
What laws come into play when talking about the rights of individuals with disability within the school system? Well, so the main law that we follow, the federal law of IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which is a federal law. And then there are some slight differences in each state, but the federal law overrides the state laws. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, each school district has to follow IDEA. Sometimes even Americans with Disabilities Act, I mean, if there are accessibility issues, issues or discrimination issues. It could be bigger than that, but mostly the IDEA is what we follow in the school systems. Mm -hmm. And what sorts of challenges have you seen most commonly that parents deal with when advocating for their kid under this law? Well, specifically speaking of kids with tuberous sclerosis, most districts, even if they understand and following the IDEA, sometimes they don't understand what it takes to specifically support a kid with tuberous sclerosis because our kids can be so complex, especially ones that have seizures or they're more impacted by their disability. If they've had resection surgery, that's a whole other level of involvement and complication because as most of us know, tuberous sclerosis is the leading genetic cause of autism. So a lot of our kids have a primary eligibility criteria of autism and they're just treated like and supported like any other kid with autism. However, the needs of our kids are more complicated. For instance, a kid that has tuberous sclerosis, they have tubers in their brain, or they've had brain resection surgery, they can have auditory or visual processing issues that can look like autism or ADHD. So it's really important to start with a really good evaluation to understand where the deficits are, why the kids are having the challenges they're having, and understand more thoroughly what their needs are in order to be able to support them. So just to understand that our kids' needs are more complicated than a typical kid with autism. Sure. And who does that initial evaluation of needs? Is that somebody from the school or a doctor or who all is involved in that? There are kind of different avenues and different ways to get a kid diagnosed. As far as the school district goes, typically the parent or someone, anyone can make a referral to get a child assessed. In California, the school districts have 15 days to respond with what we call an assessment plan. And the school districts should assess the kids in all all areas of suspected disability is what the IDEA law says. So the students get assessed by a school psychologist. There are different types of evaluations. When it comes to the school district, the district is obligated to assess and evaluate each student in all areas of suspected disability. That means things like social emotional well-being, academic, occupational therapy, speech therapy, those are typically the ones that they get evaluated. Sometimes our kids, depending on their situation, they, they need a vision evaluation, visual processing or auditory processing evaluation. But when it comes to the school district, the school district evaluates the students in all areas of suspected disability, and they then make a recommendation on what services or what supports the student needs. When in the school system, they're really focused on educationally related services and what it takes for each student to act Access curricula. What that means is, you know, they don't necessarily address things like dressing or things that don't impede access to curriculum in a school system. And there are evaluations that our kids can get outside of school by a neuropsychologist or a developmental pediatrician, vision specialist, auditory specialist. But when it comes to school, it's all about access to curriculum. Taking a step back then, what is an IEP meeting? You know, what does it look like? Who is involved? And what sorts of things do you talk about with parents to help prepare them for those meetings? 
IEP individualized educational programs. So the idea is to design a program for each child that's truly individualized. What I tell parents is that nothing's off the table. It should be emphasis on the I, individualized, what it takes and what each child needs to succeed in school. And that means not just academically, but socially, emotionally how to even the playing ground so that that our kids have the same access to education as typical children. And the IEP team should consist of people that have personal knowledge of the child, or sometimes someone like me that doesn't necessarily know the child, I can serve as a person of knowledge about tuberous sclerosis. One of the most important things I tell parents is that the parents are a very important member of the IEP team, and they should have what the IEP process calls meaningful parent participation. That means I want the parents to run the meeting. I don't want them to just kind of sit back and listen to what each team member, people that have assessed their children have to say about their child. I want them to be an important part of the IEP process and have informed consent. So if they're consenting to something, if they're agreeing to something, if they're signing it, fully understanding what they're agreeing to. And as part of an education mentor, part of our job is to educate the parents so that they know that they understand the law and they understand what they're consenting to and they understand their rights. So depending on the needs of each child, the IEP meeting would definitely include a parent, a district administrator, and then it would be definitely a general education teacher. Even if a child is not in general education, there should be a general ed teacher that would speak to the curriculum that would be age appropriate for that child. And then if it's appropriate, other therapists and providers that are involved in supporting each student. What rights do parents have and what are examples of benefits that their child could receive based on the assessment from the school? So again, that's a huge question. It's hard to answer um, because it truly is. It should be individualized. So Mm -hmm. anything from a child that needs preferential seating or changes to the amount of homework they do, anything from accommodations to modifications. And then it could be a lot more involved, like a child could receive specialized academic instruction, meaning having a a program designed for them almost, where they would get a portion of their day they would spend in a classroom, in a general ed classroom, a portion of their day they would spend in a resource classroom or anything really that is appropriate for that child. So it could be anywhere from a child would be in a general ed classroom with minimal support. It could be all the way to a classroom where my daughter is, where she's in a moderate to severe classroom. She's in a classroom for kids that have moderate to severe disabilities, and she gets a lot of support and she gets the program modified for her and everything in between. The most important thing is it should be individualized. If a child needs a shortened day, if a child needs to have a pair of support and aid support them all day, if they need to have services pushed into the classroom, meaning someone, a therapist would support them in the classroom versus somebody would pull them out to a different room to provide therapy. Really, nothing is off the table. It truly should be individualized for what that student needs. Services that our kids receive, depending on really what their needs are, they can get occupational therapy, speech therapy, 
physical therapy, adaptive PE, they can get counseling, they can have social skills class. A lot of our kids that have a seizure disorder would have an emergency seizure plan. Sometimes if they are actively seizing all day or you know most days or they're at risk at having a seizure during the day, they could have a nurse with them that would support them all day. I have kids that have a nurse and an aide with them all day. So really anything that the student needs and should be truly individualized for that student. And what I tell the parents, nothing should be off the table, whatever the student needs. And obviously, I mean, you've emphasized that these plans should be individualized to the individual with TSE and that the parents should take the active role in the meeting in sharing what they feel is best for their child. What kind of common pushback do they get from the school in terms of giving them those accommodations? So one of the most common issues is a parent feels like their child needs support. They need an aid with them all day. And so they will go into the school, or into the meeting and say, I think my child needs an aid. Most districts will immediately push back. It's expensive. They give you reasons like, oh, we don't want the child to be dependent on an aid. We want them to generalize their skills so that they can work with different individuals rather than just getting used to having one person support them. So that, I would say, 99% of the time, in my experience, parents would get pushback if they ask for an aid. And the most important part of the IEP is, in my opinion, the goals, because all the services are driven by the goals. So what you do is instead of going into an IEP meeting asking for an aid, you kind of build a case for it. You you set individual, specific, appropriate goals, and then you look at the services, what services are needed for the student to make meaningful progress towards their IEP goals. And then when you look at the services, you have to look at who is responsible for implementing these services, who is, who is responsible. And if the teacher, for instance, has 30 kids in their classroom, are they realistically going to be able to take data and tend to the student and support them in making progress? towards their goal. If not, then we can make an argument that perhaps this kid needs additional para-support to help them reach their or make meaningful progress towards their IEP goals. Sometimes it's just about safety, a kid that has a seizure that falls or has maybe significant behavior difficulties that needs someone to help them regulate or redirect them. So that's often another way to ask for an aid. Most of the time, if you just go and asking for one, most districts will just outright deny it. So it's really about framing the support in how it helps achieve the goals outlined in the IEP. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned how kids with tuberous sclerosis complex, they have complicated manifestations. So it's not just autism, it's not just epilepsy, it's any combination of those manifestations and others. As part of your role, you can provide TSC 101 training to schools. What goes into that training and how is it received? Absolutely. So that actually is a great way to engage with the school district and to really help them understand all the different manifestations that are has with tuberous sclerosis. All the trainings I've done for the school district have been very well attended, very well received and appreciated. And really the most important thing to me is to help the team understand that this child can have a lot more complicated needs than a kid with autism or ADHD, that there are a lot of kind of nuances to watch out for, that if they're having 
behavior issues, they're not just being defiant. It could be a seizure. It could be a manifestation of their tuberous sclerosis. So it's been really helpful to be able to make that connection to help the team understand and things to watch out for and in how to best educate a child with tuberous sclerosis. Yeah, I have to imagine that for many of these teachers, they've never even heard of tuberous sclerosis complex. So they have no basis for understanding what they might be dealing with in the classroom. Exactly. And I think they're often surprised to hear that TSC is not really as rare as most people think, that when I talk about how it's more common than Lou Gehrig's disease, a lot of people have heard about Lou Gehrig's disease. They haven't heard of TSC. And the other thing that's surprising is that it's TSC is the leading genetic cause of autism. So it's really not as uncommon. And there have been times when people kind of make the connection and kind of connect the dots and kind of remember other kids that they've had in their lives and they've educated with tuberous sclerosis. And it's interesting to kind of see how kids are affected differently. But I found the training to be really, really powerful and significant and helpful, if nothing else, just to kind of make a connection and help the team understand how complicated this disorder is and how to best support the kids. Yeah, I imagine that sort of training is extremely affecting because it gives them a sense of just what all is involved, Mm -hmm. not just for the kid with TSC, but also the family who is also dealing with all of the medical issues and all of the other issues outside of school. So I'm sure it definitely helps make that later conversation about rights and benefits easier because they can empathize. Yeah, I think I think it's very true. What encouraged you initially to get involved as an education parent mentor for the TS Alliance? Part of it was just I have a lot of empathy for families that are starting on this journey and how I wish that there was somebody that could support me through the process initially to figure out how to best support my daughter. And if I could kind of spare someone the pain of having to learn things the hard way, that was probably the biggest motivator is uh, someone that really understands and has gone through what I've gone through to be able to support a family and to spare them the pain of having to do things the hard way was basically what motivated me to want to do this. And making connection to other families is also healing for me and to understand that I'm not alone on this journey either. I benefit from it as well. And if people out there listening are interested in volunteering their time as an education parent mentor, what would you say about your experience so far and the training involved to get up to speed? I think that if you have a child that has an IEP, if you're a few years, a couple of years even into this process, you'll quickly understand that when you talk to a newly diagnosed family, you know a lot more than you think you do. When a family is starting on this journey, they might not have any idea where to start. So if you're even a year into this process, you could still support a family that's a year behind you. And it could be a really powerful healing process for the parent mentor as well, like I said, to kind of pay it forward and know that even if you know a little bit, you can still help another family that's not as far into the process as you are. And Dina from the TS Alliance has been an amazing source of support, and she's very, very accessible to all of us through text, email, phone call. And I feel like if I ever get stuck anywhere, I'm fine telling the family, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. So I would encourage families that if they're interested in supporting other families to just go for it, knowing that there's a lot of support, not just from Dina, but from other families that are in the education parent mentor program. Is there any other advice or messages you would want to convey to parents as they work to advocate for their kids within the school system? I think one of the most important things that I was 
always tell parents is that know your rights and also trust your gut. That's, I think, a really powerful tool that a lot of parents, when they get intimidated through the process, they kind of tend to dismiss their gut feelings. But I think it's important to trust their gut feeling of understanding that you are the expert at that table. When you sit in an IEP meeting, the parent is the expert on their child. So trust that and understand that you're a crucial part of the IEP team and need to participate in the meeting in a meaningful way. And not always going into an IEP meeting thinking that they're on the other side. There's a way to advocate for a child and be assertive, but still keep an amicable relationship with the district. So I think that's really important too. Yeah. Do you find that if a parent is too combative, it makes it that much harder? That's not my style as an advocate. I think that building a good relationship with the team that's supporting your child is really important. And yes, I think if the relationship is an adversarial one with the IEP team, it can make things more difficult for the family. Go into the process, understanding that and looking at the the different therapists and teachers as your team, that it's their job to support your child and it's your job to make sure they do their job basically, but that it should ideally be very much a team. And that everyone is working in the best interest of the child. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the parent's job to make sure they know your child well and they're serving him or her and mm-hmm. best way possible. Is there any other information that you think is valuable to parents? Just going in, I would say don't feel intimidated, ask for help, talk to other families, reach out to your parent mentor, don't sign the IEP at the meeting. Always take it with you, even if you feel confident, even if you like what they're telling you, don't sign the IEP. Take it home, review it, talk to someone else about it, and always record your IEPs. Always record your IEPs. Those are good first steps. Seek help. Yes. Rec- Record the meeting and don't sign the IAP right away. Take time to review it away from the meeting so that you're confident in what you're signing. Absolutely. Oh, and then one other thing, everything in writing, you have to document everything because the IEP process, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. So even if you have a conversation with someone, with a teacher or principal that tells you something significant, always follow it up with a letter or an email. That's extremely valuable advice and it's helpful for parents to know that Things need to be in writing in order for them to be acted upon. Yes, very important. Well, Lilian, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today and for educating me about what sorts of challenges kids with TSC have in the school system and for volunteering your time and supporting parents because, as you said, you're paying it forward and you're helping to make sure that people aren't going into these situations alone and unprepared. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. My thanks again to Lilian for sharing such valuable advice for parents preparing for IEP meetings. If you need educational support for your child, please call Dina Hook, Vice President of Support Services at 800-225-6872 or email her at dhook at tsalliance.org. You may fax documents such as IEP reports or other correspondence to Dina at 888 888- Three three zero one eight five three. We're also looking for volunteers to fill education parent mentor positions across the country. If you'd like to volunteer and support families in your state, visit tsalliance.org/volunteer and fill out an online application. And as always, if you have questions from today's episode or feedback for future episodes, you can email me at tscnow@tsalliance.org. For the TS Alliance, I'm Dan Klein. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. You can find all our episodes at tslions.org slash tscnow. Thanks for listening.